Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Amen. Please be seated. You know why we come here on Sunday? To meet with him. Not for a program. <laughs> to meet with him. And he desires to meet with us more than we want to meet with him. We gather every Sunday to get together, to hear from God, to encounter him, to experience him. Thank you so much, guys, for playing. And I want to encourage you this year, if you've not yet been in this habit to get into it, that every single time you get into a gathering, whether it's on Sunday morning or Wednesday or whatever, MC, you come with an expectation from God. Like you expect something from God. Be expectant. Don't ever come in again be, just because we go to MC or because we go on Sunday or because we go for... Like no matter, even if someone invites you to fellowship, go knowing that God has something for you. Like, God, I know you have something for me that you may receive it. Because when you're expectant, your heart is like, it's, it's open. It's, you, 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 you're alert. You're alert. You're not distracted. You're watching out for, Father, why did you bring me here today? Every moment that comes, you're open to receive because you're like, is this it? Father, did you bring me to receive this? So be expectant. Don't walk into a space where they go, people have gathered to worship God with no expectation. Always come with an expectant heart knowing that something is going to happen. Something, you're going to receive something specific from God. I have two words on my heart for people here. Uh, one was stop comparing. Stop comparing your life with someone else's life. Your spouse with someone else's spouse. Your uh, finances with someone else's finances. Every time you compare, you get discouraged. Every time you compare, it robs you of joy. And no, none of our journeys are the same. He has marked out everyone's race for them, and all of us win. No one wins another. Each one of us has our race, and we can cheer on everyone, no matter what stage we are at, knowing that we all win when we are in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, stop comparing. It steals your joy. Instead, start giving thanks. Start giving thanks. One of the things that I'm happy about that we've finally been very diligent with at home this year has been having a Thanksgiving jar with post-it notes right next to it and a pen. Every evening before you go to bed, you stand at that jar and think about what has God done for me today that I want to thank him for. And we write a note and drop it in the jar. And you know, by the time you go to bed, your heart is full. Also, it helps you to stop and think about God's faithfulness at the end of every day. To sing of his loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness every night is what the psalmist says. The second word I have, which is really very close to this one, is be satisfied in me. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to us that we, you're going through a thing that I went through where I thought that if I just get this, I will be satisfied. And it's such a lie. I, it's such a lie that when we think that things or relationships or they don't satisfy, you can talk to that. If you're not yet married and you desire marriage this year, God will satisfy your desire with good things. But can I tell you something? Even when you're married and happily married, it doesn't satisfy you. There's a place that your spouse can never 
touch, reach, understand. Like they still, in fact, the more you try to get them to feel it, there will be problems. Because that's a place that God reserved for himself that he may satisfy us. A bigger house won't satisfy. It will be a great blessing, but it won't satisfy. As soon as you get it, you'll want something else. A better job won't satisfy. Whatever it is, he's saying you can be satisfied where you are now. You can be satisfied with little and with much. You can be a person who is not possessed or who does not possess anything. That you have the things, they are tools for the kingdom, but you don't possess them. They don't have a hold on you. So he's saying, be satisfied in me. And how? Seek him. Seek him. Spend time with him. Be with him. Let him completely, deeply satisfy you. I want to encourage you. If you're here and you've not been coming for the season 21 meetings, and or you've not been participating in the first, not for medical reasons, but maybe just, I want to implore you, to beg you, to beseech you. You people. Get on the bus. We have one more week. Chilomo. You understand Chilomo? Have you those people who you cram before the examination? Eh? God has given us one more week. Let me tell you something. Something is shifting in this ministry. Significantly. Now, I don't want you to be the people who wonder what is happening. You know, when you're like, what's happening? It's, something is wrong. Like, there's something shifting. In the spirit, some, there's a mark. There's a mark that's just literally being shh. Mm, mm, and there's going to be a clear distinction. So I am asking you, be in the room. Moreover, worship of Isnalia, you're our hosts. Be in the room. Be in the room. If you have been coming, it's as if the preachers go and compare notes. Then they come, and then they start saying the same things. You're like, no. Maybe was that person in the room when the other one was preaching? What? It's like God is going out of his way to say the same things over and over and establish us for the year. Now, you can get the audios, but let me tell you, there's something happening in the room. There are impartations happening in the room. And so I want to encourage you to make a few sacrifices, to be a bit uncomfortable. Let's not only do what's comfortable. I don't, uh, me driving in traffic in the evening, hey, hungry people will go to where the food is. And the Bible says that he satisfies the hungry soul. But when you're satisfied, it's hard to be, to be satisfied again. Even if there's wonderful food there, you're like, I'm okay. But when you're hungry, it doesn't matter if it's katunkuma and matoke. You eat, that day it will be so yummy. The Bible says to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So if, you're hung, if you don't have a hunger, create it. Come and create the hunger. But let me tell you, if you're hungry, traffic is not going to be your hindrance. So I want to encourage you, come to the season 21 meetings. And if you've not been fasting, get into the fasting space. I don't know what it is about fasting, but when Esther was faced with a crisis in the Bible, her first reaction was, let's fast. Do you remember? Where if I go before the king, I could die, my maidens, everyone three days fast. Daniel went into a 21-day fast. Jehoshaphat, a king, when they were being attacked by the armies, called for a national fast. Um, Moses went to, be with, to, to spend time with God and ended up in a 40-day fast, and when he came back, he had completely changed. The Moses who went up was not the one who came down. The disciples, when they couldn't cast out a demon, Jesus told them they had unbelief and it could only go by prayer and fasting. David, when his son was sick, 
prayed and fasted to know God's will. And when the boy died, he stopped the fast because then he knew what the will of God was. The thing about fasting is that I don't know what it is. It's like giving up spiritual desire, physical desire for spiritual benefit. It doesn't get God to do our will, but it gets you ready to do God's will. So I want to encourage you to join in season 21. And some of you, God is calling you to go beyond season 21. And you know yourselves. You know it in your heart. Some of you, he has even told you, in fact, after season 21, enter the Daniel fast. Because meat is such a stronghold in your life. Do you know that fasting can teach you discipline? If you're struggling with a habit and you actually fast, you're telling your body no, by the time you're done, the habit can be broken because you've trained yourself to say no to the things that you desire. So I encourage you to get on board. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, this is my word. I don't like people telling me to talk to my neighbor, by the way. So tell the other neighbor, this is my word. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Today we are going to talk about a, an incredible story in the Bible about a woman caught in adultery. Say, my mind is a lot. My heart is open. This word will bear fruit in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is a story about a woman caught in adultery. Now, if you are a person who goes to church a lot, adultery is considered to be one of the worst sins. It's like, you can do all the other things, but adultery, it is like the big one in the church. So I want you to go with me to John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. I don't know what I, uh, I think I need to stand here. So let's read together. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. I want you to be stopping with me at different points because I want to paint for you a picture of what was happening. This is early morning, okay? Early in the morning. People have chosen to still come and hear Jesus regardless of the resistance in the area about Jesus. They come early morning to hear him teach. That speaks to me of hunger and desire. And then the Bible says all the people. Now, if they said all the people in Kampala came to hear Kamara speak, I don't think all the people, not everyone, I mean, there are some people who stayed home. But what, does that, what is that statement insinuating? That there were so many people. It felt like the entire city came out early in the morning. Now, don't you know there were no advertising, whatever, there was no radio, uh, no TV. So how did these people know that Jesus would be in the temple? No, as for WhatsApp. How did these people know that Jesus would be in the temple? In my mind, I think they just showed up in case he comes. They know that this man is usually at the temple. In case he comes, I'll be there. The entire city, it's like every man brought their neighbor. Some of them brought their friends to tell them, come and see the man. When was the last time you invited someone to garage? When was the last time you said there are no for them? You decided that they won't come. Is Jesus' message so powerful that you feel like you need all your neighbors, all your friends, your whole community to come and hear it? Has it impacted you that much? There was no advertising. All the people. 
Now I want you to know that this temple was about 20 acres sitting space. So get the whole of worship harvest Nalia. How many acres do we sit on? One point something times 20. 20 times. My question is, how did these people hear Jesus? There was no PA system. I think, that, I think God supernaturally projected his voice. But I want you to have that scene in your mind. Because sometimes we think that when this thing happened, Jesus was having a small crowd of 20 people and they brought him a woman caught in the act. This is what is happening. People have come early in the morning to hear Jesus is sitting down to teach them. They are, they are, it's a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people. Hungry people coming to see the Lord and hear his word. Now, then the scribes together and Pharisees did what? Brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very what? You guys, this is early in the morning. Meaning this is a walk of shame. Do you understand? And I don't think this, has, this is the longest, maybe it's one of the longest walks of shame ever. Okay? So I want you to imagine, see yourself in this picture. It's early in the morning. People have gathered to hear Jesus. There are crowds of, of over hundreds of thousands of people. And the scribes and Pharisees, the holy men of the city, they are known. Come and interrupt. Suddenly there is silence. People are watching. What's happening? First, there's a bit of chaos. People are walking in. There's a woman. She's covered. She's weeping. They are dragging her. They are cursing her. And then Jesus is at the, probably at the front of the temple teaching. He's interrupted, okay? It's an interruption. The chaos, the shock, the shame, the interruption. They bring her to the front. And then they loudly proclaim in the hearing of everyone. This teacher, until you are the teacher, they even call him teacher. Teacher. This woman was, I want you to imagine if someone came right now to the front, took the microphone and started shouting, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act. Oh, this is the woman who stole my husband. But here is the thing. The scribes and Pharisees make their way through a large crowd and interrupt a service to bring this woman to Jesus just to find a way to discredit Jesus. It wasn't even about her. It wasn't about the woman. They wanted to discredit Jesus. Have you ever been dragged into a thing where it's not even about you? Someone is using you to get a point forward. But the, this woman's humiliation, the whole city now knows her. She will never again walk anywhere without anyone pointing a finger and saying, that's the one. That's the woman who committed adultery. I imagine her marriage is over. I imagine her children will never, they also now have a curse upon them because the whole community knows what they did. But the point, and yet the point of the enemy, the accuser, is to discredit Jesus in your life. That shame that you've suffered, that habit that doesn't seem to go away, that sin that you seem to keep falling into, those failures that keep coming your way, all these things are all aimed at discrediting Jesus, not you. They want people to look at you and say, Oh, I'm okay. 
Do you understand? It's like, what kind of Jesus is this that you carry? The point of the enemy's accusation in your life is not you. He's aiming at discrediting the power of God. Do you know what the word condemnation means? I found a very interesting definition that the word condemn means to declare unfit for use. When they condemn a building, they are saying it can't be used. When, the, when condemnation comes against you as a child of God, the enemy is saying you're not fit for use. He wants to shut you up. He wants to shut you down. He wants to say you're shamed. You cannot say anything. Then they go on and say, now Moses in the law commanded, not told us, commanded us that what? But what do you say? This they say, testing him that they might find something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Have you ever come to accuse someone and they pay you no attention? It's very annoying. You want a reaction. The city has gathered, okay? This is a perfect space to discredit Jesus. The city has gathered. They've come to hear him speak. They've brought a woman caught in an act that everyone is ashamed of. In the very act, they've quoted the law of Moses. They've even quoted scripture. Has someone ever used the Bible to hit you? At your point of pain, I remember someone who said that they were, they were having miscarriages and someone asked them if they tithe. Yeah, she gave her testimony at Katikati last week. That she came, she had, they were waiting for, on God for a child for 11 years. And well-meaning Christians started asking them, do you tithe? Maybe the devourer is coming for you because you don't tithe. And she said, I could not connect tithe with God not giving me a child. Has someone ever hit you on the head with the scriptures and the Bible at your low moment? Have you hit someone on the head with the Bible? Love covers. Love covers a multitude of sin. The law exposes. When we think we are righteous, we start to expose others. We think we are better than them. They try to put Jesus in a tight spot between the Roman and the Jewish law. And according to the Roman law, you could not put someone to death without permission from the government. According to the Jewish law, if you catch her in adultery, you stone her. So whichever way he went, he was going to be in trouble. If he said stone her, he's against the Roman law. If he does say don't stone her, he's against the Jewish law, which is what they believe in. But guess what? These men, Pharisees, teachers of the law, bring this woman, but they're breaking their own law. Because we are going to see that according to their own law, both the man and woman should be present. Was this woman caught in the act by herself? Where is the man that she was with? They bring what suits them because, you see, a woman would even bring more pain. Like if she was stoned to death, she brings more compassion from the people. They bring this woman, but not the man that was caught with him. They're even quoting the scripture where it suits them. I've ever known someone who quotes scriptures for you where it suits them, yet you know that also them, you can quote for them some scriptures. Jesus does not give the accusers any attention. I want you to remember from today that Jesus does not give attention to your accusers. Never. He stoops on the ground as if he has not heard them. He just, and neither should you give attention to the accusers. Jesus is not your accuser. He does not even pay attention. The other day we were praying for someone and telling them, do you know that Jesus doesn't even remember this thing you're saying you feel so bad about? He says he has chosen to forget your sins. 
So when you come to him and say, Father, I feel so bad about what I did. He's like, what are you talking about? Because you see, my blood cleanses you consistently, non-stop. Every time you sin, I cleanse you. You sin, I cleanse you. So what are you talking about? I forgot. I don't know what you're talking about. When I see you, I see the righteousness of God. We only go to confess that we may be healed for our sake. When you go to say sorry to someone, is it really about the other person? It's about you feeling better that they've forgiven you. No, it's not about the other person. It's about you. Jesus does not pay attention to your accusers. Look at what the law says in Deuteronomy 22, 22 to 24 together. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall what? The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to her husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them what? Out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. But this will bring just the woman. Mm. Mm. You know how they say, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log? That is, that, you know that imagery is so, you think about it. You have a log, meaning you can't even see. But you're looking for a speck, which is so hard to see in someone else's eye. First Peter 4, 8, what does it say? And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love does what? Friends, I want to ask us not to be the people who partner with the accuser to uncover one another. Let's not partner with, let's love one another. Let's cover one another. Let's not go giving each other, do you know, eh, eh, that's the girl. That's the girl who had an abortion. Eh, that's the guy who cheats on his wife. So what? What about you? What do you do? Should we uncover you too? That is why when people talk about the prophets who make you stand up and tell you what you did last night, that is not the spirit of God. That is the spirit of the accuser. God does not ashamed. He does not uncover. He covers. Many of us know that we've, there are things we've struggled with which you keep saying, Manage God, if anyone never found out. And it's like God continuously tucks it away. Even when you feel like someone almost came close to knowing it. It's like he keeps covering you and covering you. Jesus does not uncover. He covers. He does not pay attention to the enemy. So when they continued asking him, because they were annoyed, they are like, say something, he's stooping down. I want you to imagine the mood in that room, you guys. What do you think is happening? There's no music, my friend. <laughs> eh? Eh? There's a bad Nigerian thing. Those bad Nigerian movies with that soundtrack. I mean... These are the Pharisees. They are respected religious people. Jesus is there. There's a woman caught in adultery. There are hundreds of thousands of people right there on the stage. There's an interruption. I don't know what Jesus was teaching that morning. But he stoops and keeps writing. There's silence. They continue to shout. They continue asking him, say something. Say something. What are you going to do? What should we do, master? You're the wise one. What shall we do? This woman was caught in adultery. What do we do? What do we do with her? You need to pronounce something. You're a teacher. The Bible says when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, come down. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Then he went back down. He 
Never condemn someone just because they sin differently from you. You know, those of us who have been in church for long, we are tempted from time to time to think we are better than others. Look at someone and say, ah, at least come me. Let me tell you, the standard is not that person. The standard is Jesus Christ. And against him, we will never measure up. Ever. Never condemn someone just because they sin differently from you. Jesus basically gets the law they are trying to uphold and turns it on them. You know, it's easy to quote scripture for someone until we turn it around to ourselves. It faces your direction. And then suddenly, he raises the bar from the law and the prophets, and then he says, point it to your heart. The same thing he did of, if you think committing adultery is about doing the act, if you think about it, you're guilty. He took it to another level to say, hey, it's impossible. None of us can come to God with anything to offer. We come with nothing to offer. And Jesus takes that truth they are trying to enforce and throws it right on them. Now, when God's truth points in your direction, we all fall short. There is no one that's without sin before God. Everyone must come to the foot of the cross with nothing to offer. We must all come to the end of ourselves and say, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer. I come to receive from you instead. And I love this next scripture. Those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience. He didn't preach a sermon. Just gave an instruction. No problem. I know what the law says now. If you're the one who has no sin, just cast the first stone. In other words, if you have no sin, quote some scriptures for people. Throw the law at them. Being convicted, they went out. I like this imagery, you people. This, they came in a crowd, and apparently they went out one by one in order of age. <laughs> it's like the ones with the smallest sins went out first. People had even brought their children with them to see how this woman is stoned. One by one, from the, with the oldest, even to the last, beginning with the oldest. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing that day, both the woman and the Pharisees experienced Jesus. They encountered him. They encountered him. The woman encountered a God whose love covers sin. That's what she came hoping to encounter. The Pharisees came with a religious argument, a debate of truth. And they also encountered a debate of truth. What we usually come with to Jesus affects what we receive from him. When we come empty-handed, ready to receive, knowing that we are nothing without him, our hands are open to receive from him. When we come with our accolades in our hands, we start to disqualify ourselves from receiving from Jesus. And when you come with the law in your hand, you get nothing from Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Friends, the law kills. That's why they had stones in their hands. The law kills. The law exposes. The law uncovers. But the love of God does not uncover you. The love of God covers. The love of God heals. The love of God rescues. The love of God redeems and reminds us of who we are. Romans 3.19 together. Now we know it says to those who are, why? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. The point of the law is to show us that none of us measure up. 
None of us measure up without Jesus. That we may be guilty before God. The law is not a tool to show who is better than the other. It's to show that none of us. Because according to Romans 3, 23 to 24, for all have done what? And continuously do what? Fall short of the glory of God. Comma, it's not a full stop. Being present continuous, justified, how? Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I love this scripture because it's saying that we fall short and we are justified as present continuous falling short, present continuous being justified. That every time B3 falls short, she's justified. Falls short, she's justified. Falls short, she's justified by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That I can come boldly with confidence before God knowing that I'll find mercy and grace in my time of need. Verse 10 to 11, as it closes, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. No one but the woman. He said to her, what? What did he say to her, church? Where are those accused? This is a very important statement I want you to remember. That every single, Jesus, first of all, asks her. Why, why do you think he asked her? Did you think she couldn't see? He asks her because he wants her to reach a point where she right there recognizes that no one accuses her. That no one is better than her. That no one is not a sinner. He asks her, where are those accusers of yours? But also he's saying, I'm not one of them. Where are those accusers of yours? He lifts up his head and says, he has preached a sermon to this whole crowd, even if they go back home through this incident. He says, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Today God is asking you, where are those accusers of yours? Who accuses you? According to who? Who said that you're disqualified from doing that thing that God has called you to do? Who said that your mistake is too big for God to actually use you? In fact, he uses those of us who have made the big mistakes. That he may shut up every person who thinks they are better. I've had people who criticize Joyce Meyer. She's of the devil because she was divorced and remarried. Just because you sin differently doesn't make you better. For you, you've not had a divorce. But would you want us to start naming the things you've done in private? Who qualifies you for use? Who? Who is that person who holds the credentials to qualify Martin Mutabingwa to be? Now you are qualified to be used by God. Who is that person? There is no one apart from Jesus Christ. And he is the one who died. He is the one who justifies you. He is the one who lifts you up. He is the one who decides who you are and what you can be. Nobody else holds the key to decide how far you can go in the things of God. Nobody, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So friends, don't elevate people. Honor one another, but not, don't elevate. All of us are sinners without Jesus. But you see, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness are the ones who reign in life. Those who decide that for me, God has loved me. I am a sinner. I am the worst of them. But you know what? His grace is much higher. It's a higher standard. And he has raised it above my sin. So I am, I am, I am qualified to be used by God. And has no one condemned you, he asks. He wants her to recognize what has happened. Has no one condemned you? Because she's going to go back to that community after that moment. He wants her to recognize that, hey, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? As in, do you realize that nobody has been able to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. She needed to say it, no one, Lord. No one condemns me. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. 
I want you to see in that last statement of Jesus that there is so much power right there. And how the statements follow each other. That Jesus first, that the power to live a life free of sin starts with recognizing that you're not condemned. He says, I don't condemn you. Based on that, there's that thing. Is it a colon or a semicolon? Those who know English. It's a semi, eh? He says, now, I don't condemn you because I don't condemn you. Therefore, go and sin no more. Friends, the power for us to live free from sin is in recognizing, acknowledging, believing with all our hearts that we are not condemned. That we are not condemned. Once you start to recognize that, freedom begins to come upon you. I've told this story a couple of times because it's one that has amazed me. A young man came to me a few years ago at Katikati after the service and said, I'm struggling with smoking. I've been a chain smoker for years. Even right now in the service, I walked out twice to smoke. Please pray for me. And he says that I sort of dismissively said, no problem. The next time you smoke, just declare I'm the righteousness of God. And I continued talking to someone else. And he was so annoyed. He's like, does this woman understand the gravity of this addiction that I have? But she said, anyway, she's the pastor. I'll try. So he goes home and indeed, I'm the right. He smokes. As he smokes, he says, I'm the righteousness of God. Now you see what's happening. He's changing his identity. As opposed to, I'm a chain smoker. I'm a chain smoker. Who you think you are is who you will act like. If you think you're a chain smoker, there's no way you can stop being a chain smoker. So he starts to, and the most important voice in your life is your voice. People can tell you, pray for you, speak over you, but if you, you believe and therefore you speak. So he starts to declare it. He said two weeks later, he woke up and he realized, hmm, I've not smoked. No, just like that, he was like, <laughs> what happened? He received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. He received it. There's a young woman right now at Worship Harvest Katikati. I remember the first time I met her at, at drinks time, she was shaking, so I thought she was afraid of me. I told her, what is it? Why are you shaking? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being. She's like, no, 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 it's not you. I said, what is it? She said, I have an alcohol addiction. She was shaking. And I remember telling her, I want you to get in the word of God. You are not addicted. You are the righteousness of God. And I saw her at New Dawn Camp after a few months. You people, it's too much. She, her life has changed like this. Do you know why? That girl opened her heart like this to the love of God. She thinks eh, like she's the best thing that has ever happened to God. She has this idea that God just loves her. God just loves her. God accepts her. She keeps telling me, you, eh, mukama kanjuna marwa. Eh, you know, and it happened in a very short period of time, like three months. Some of you here, most of, all of us actually, all of us, not some, need to receive the abundant grace of God in every area of our lives. We, the more you condemn yourself, have you noticed that the more you condemn yourself, the harder it is to get out of a thing? You feel guilty about doing it, then you feel guilty about feeling guilty of doing it, then, hey! It's like you're just being chained in guilt. He says, neither do I condemn you because of that go and sin no more. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you think this woman went back and said, let me go and just now continue to commit adultery? 
She encountered the love of God. It's like he changed her. It's like, I'm not that person. I can't. He lifted her up. He told her, hey, you're better than this. Go and sin no more. You're not a condemned person. You are not condemned. Have you sinned? Yes. Are you condemned? No. Are you sinning? Yes. Are you going to sin? Yes. Will you be condemned? No. You must remember that Jesus says, go and sin no more because you are not condemned. In Romans, I think Romans chapter 8, verse 33 to 34. This one, I want you to declare it with all your heart and might. Open your mouth and declare with me. What then shall we say? If God is for us, oh, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also, who is even at the right hand, who also, my goodness, can you imagine that? That Jesus is the one who justified you. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who even on top of that intercedes for you. Non-stop. Lastly, Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over me. For I am not under the law. I want you to say that. For sin shall not have dominion over me. For I am not under the law. For sin shall not have dominion over me. For I am not under the law. But one more time. For sin shall not have dominion over me. For I am not under the law. You are not condemned. God does not condemn you. Jesus does not condemn you. Jesus is not your accuser. And it is the absence of that condemnation that will empower you to live righteously. I just want to ask you today, what do you need to hand over to Jesus? What thing have you carried that has defined you? Maybe it's a mistake you made and you still hold yourself at ransom for it. And we want to just give it to Jesus today. And you need to tell yourself, I am not condemned by the bad financial decision I made. I am not condemned. Maybe you took a bribe and now you think that your finances won't work out because one time you took a bribe. He says, go and sin no more. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.